Welcome. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, computers and microphones and cameras. <laughs> All beings, however difficult you are. Thanks for showing up. <clears throat> for the next couple of months, we will be exploring the 16 precepts because seven members of our Sangha will be receiving precepts, some in lay ordination and Angyo in priest ordination. And so I want to talk a little bit about the meaning of receiving precepts because we say that when anyone, particularly any Sangha member, receives precepts, everyone in the Sangha receives them as well. Because as a Sangha, we are deeply interconnected with one another. We need the support of one another and we need the affection and wisdom and compassion for one another. And so when anyone in our Sangha undertakes this deliberate way of life, we all are involved. And so we'll study them and discuss them and critique them <laughs> Uh, together for the next few weeks, maybe even months, depending upon how much there is to be said. There are 16 precepts. The first three of those precepts are called the three refuges, the three gems, the three jewels. Andrea spoke about the jewel of the Sangha last week very beautifully. And we'll be talking about all three of those refuges today. The, those who receive refuges, receive precepts, have made a commitment I think everyone here today is in some sense searching, listening, examining, contemplating their lives, your lives, my life. In Buddhist practice, it's not just that we have a problem a specific problem, maybe it's anxiety or depression or um, confusion, and we want our practice to solve that problem. It's way beyond that. It's not just that we have a problem that we need to address, it's that we have a life that we need to live. We have a life that 
needs to be examined and to be lived in the deepest and most compassionate way that we can. And so we're asking, how should I live my life? What is the way? What is the best, most profound way to do this? And many of us have explored different paths, different ways, different philosophies, and are still probably searching, examining, considering how we should live, what we should do, what we should do with this one life, at least this particular life that we're given, that we're given as a gift. When someone receives precepts, there is a decision being made. It's kind of the decision to stop shopping. To stop shopping around so much. To stop digging a lot of shallow wells here and there. Oh, what's, you know, let me taste this and let me taste that path. And let me listen to this teacher and that teacher all of which is absolutely essential in the search. This is, this is really what Buddha did, what every spiritual seeker does. But at some point, he sits under the tree and he makes a commitment. He sets an intention. And so when one receives precepts, one goes from kind of being involved and interested in Buddhist practice to being committed to it. To having, you might say, right intention. This is my intention. It is really the first act that in almost every style of Buddhist practice takes place, the act of taking refuge. In almost every style. So it's a deliberate choice. It's not just, oh, well, my friend is practicing, or actually this happened to me, uh, this is how I got involved in Buddhist practice. I kind of just fell into it because I was trying to help a friend who was going through a very um, difficult divorce and she wanted someone to sit with her. And I hated every minute of it. Um, I just wanted to scream uh, within a minute of sitting. Um, but I stayed out of friendship. And so I just got involved in it. I wasn't really that interested in it. But at the end of the year, something happened. And I decided to make a commitment to it. And realized that it was she that was giving me the gift 
not I who is necessarily giving her the gift. So often after receiving the three refuges out of taking these vows, we say, I take refuge in the Buddha. It is done. I take refuge in the Dharma. It is done. I take refuge in the Sangha. It is done. It's a commitment. And it's a personal commitment. In the Jukai ceremony, in which these 16 precepts are offered and received by the, the one who is being ordained, who is making this commitment. It is a public declaration. You invite your friends, your family, your Sangha members to share in the dedication that you are making to this practice, to this way of life. But in the deepest sense, it's personal. It's internal. It's deeply personal and it's, it's, it's played out in the most intimate way within yourself. Not only is it personal, but it's kind of scary because you have made a commitment to a certain way of being that others are aware of and which you are carrying around with you every moment of every day. And you are always having to, um, you might say, meet that commitment, answer that commitment, bring that commitment forward in everything that you do. And so it's not really about judging yourself. That is not helpful but it is about holding yourself accountable for every decision that you make and living up to your vows. So when you receive these precepts and you say, I do, <laughs> you know, when we say, I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, you say, I do. It's done. It's, it's a vow. And as a vow, it's not just a promise. It's a deep internal commitment. And you don't take it lightly. And your friends and family are gonna, not going to take it lightly either. They're going to watch you. They're going to hold you to account. So if you take refuge when you take refuge you are actually a refugee 
you're someone who has left home and are searching for home, like any refugee. As soon as you leave the womb, you're a refugee. <laughs> You've left home. And we're always leaving home, always leaving our comfort zones. Every womb that we get comfortable in has to be has to be left. This is the Buddhist path. We don't settle anywhere. There's a phrase in, in Buddhist practice we call settling down where there is no settling down. <laughs> settling down where there is no settling down. We're always moving, growing, deepening, challenging ourselves. And we have, and this is our home. This is our home as a, in an odd sense, as a refugee. Many people, um, kind of criticized the Buddha for having left his family, which he did. He left home and he left his wife and his child. He left because he had a calling. He had a calling to relieve or to understand and relieve the suffering of mankind, sickness, old age, death. He witnessed those and the calling was impossible to ignore. And this is something that I suspect those of us who are receiving precepts and making a commitment feel that calling to live our lives in a way that expresses our compassion and our wisdom for the suffering of all beings. It's a calling that even though it means leaving home, can't be ignored. In priest training, this is called shuke tokudo. It's not just an accident. It's a person who is a home leaver. And that just doesn't mean the literal home, but the home of everything that you feel comfortable with everything you've settled into in your routine, in your friends, in your connections, all this, 
all these, sometimes I call these the twin towers of our lives. The pillars that just, you know, we can count on that. We can always go home to that. In Buddhist practice, you might say, the home is always on the road. <laughs> always on the road. And we, we do stop off. We do stop off periodically at different places. But the home is everywhere. Our home is everywhere. Especially when we discover that the, the deepest refuge is within ourselves. That the Buddha is here. The Dharma is here. The Sangha is here. Wherever we are. When he um, decided to sit under the bow tree to take refuge within, Buddha had remembered his childhood when as a toddler, his father set him under a rose apple tree during the plowing season and his father, who was the king and the lord of this great land, went out to the plowing festival to manage the activities and set the little Buddha under this tree. And Buddha remembered that refuge when he was searching, when he, he was... Um, he was, he was starving. He was on the verge of death, having explored all these different um, pathways, studied with lots of teachers, couldn't find, couldn't find what his truth was. And so he remembered a moment as a child when he was sitting under that rose apple tree, when he felt something profound, even as a little, little boy, maybe especially because he was a little boy. He felt the interconnectedness of everything, of his place in this rich tapestry of life. And so he remembered that and said he was going to sit as he did as a child under the bow tree and stay there until he discovered what was real for himself, for himself. As he said at the end of his life, be a lamp unto yourself. Be a lamp unto yourself. This is where this is the true refuge. But of course, this isn't limited to this body-mind. 
and when once when once when takes refuge there as we say to study the self in in soto zen that study that in that intention to go inward begins to expand into connectedness with all things <clears throat> so we discover that the buddha the dharma the sangha they're not external and when we receive refuge when we take refuge we are kind of when we vow to do this we are plunging wholeheartedly into this practice we express our trust in it our confidence in it and actually it's done almost at the beginning it's not that we have to have proof that somehow we make that commitment and then everything flows out of that we may even make that commitment not knowing what we're doing i i didn't when i when i decided to train as a priest and i got all my robes and everything and i went to my teacher and i said you know i have all this stuff um but i don't know what i'm what i'm doing and she said finally it was good that i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> that i was making a commitment with complete confidence and faith that i'd probably find out something that i didn't know before that i would find out what it really meant to be a priest <laughs> that i wouldn't know that until i made the commitment this is strange but that seems to be the way it works i i remember driving through belfont um a couple of years ago and i was driving very slowly and i happened to catch a, a, an image of there was a a man i was assuming it, it was a father of a young daughter who the young daughter was um standing on a wall and the father was standing a couple of feet in front of her with his arms outstretched and the little girl just jumped into her father's arms and i thought how beautiful that this is our practice we jump leap into the refuge of buddhist practice we completely relax into it this is this is like bowing to you know 
kind of throwing one's body into the earth. With total presence, with total commitment. Um, Buddhism and receiving precepts is a way of life. It's not just a therapy by any means. It's a way of finding our spiritual home. And when we find it, and when we feel it, much as when we feel that we arrive home in our apartment, in our house, with a beloved person, uh, we enter that home uh, and we feel, ha, huh, I can be myself. I can relax, you know, as my mother would come home from work uh, when I was a kid. And uh, the first thing that she would do when she entered the apartment, having been dressed up all day at work, she would put on what they call a moo-moo. <laughs> it's like this house dress. And that was kind of a symbol of, I'm myself, I'm at home. I don't have to pretend, I don't have to prove anything. I'm just completely comfortable. And that's how our practice feels when we take refuge in it. That, yeah, this feels like home. This feels like home. It feels right. It feels like I can be myself. It feels as if I don't have to pretend. So that feeling of safety, of protection, our practice is a safe place. It protects us from suffering, much as we feel when we are in a ref at a refuge. It's safe. It protects us. We can be ourselves. Uh, another very moving example uh, was what I heard um, on uh, Garrison Keillor's broadcast many years ago, um, his radio broadcast. He uh, grew up in Minnesota, which is it's a cold winters in Minnesota. And he remembers as a child that he had to walk home with many of his friends through terrible snowstorms, freezing, freezing, freezing as kids. And the little town that he lived in came together and decided to establish something that they called storm homes. So that as the children walked to their homes, their real homes, where their families lived, 
there were, there were signs in homes along the way that said storm home, which meant that any child could stop off there if they were cold or they wanted some hot chocolate or they wanted a cookie or just a place to stop off on their way home, that they could stop off there. So there was this sequence of refuges along the way home. What if we lived that way? That as we recited the Bodhisattva vow, if someone needs a bridge, we'll be that bridge. We can. If someone needs an island, we'll be that island. If someone needs a, some food, we'll provide that food. We'll, we'll do what is needed. We will do everything in our power to be helpful, to be comforting to all beings, not just to children. So let me be a refuge. Let my very life be a refuge for all refugees. Let me let me be the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. This is not pretentious. This is not about saving the world. So many of us are preoccupied with uh, saving the world. But what about our neighbor? What about our neighbor who is suffering with the aftermath of COVID? What about our neighbor who's going through a difficult divorce or is having problems with her child? There's where we can be a storm home. These are the refuges that we take not only to take refuge in Buddha Dharma and Sangha, but to be Buddha Dharma and Sangha for all who are seeking refuge. So these are the first three precepts or first three, this is the first stage of the broadest, deepest sense in which we can become Buddhists. <laughs> we can make this commitment to this way of life. Thank you.